How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. I always feel comfortable playing that four position. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. And today's episode of Locked On Fantasy Basketball is also sponsored by Draft, a daily fantasy app where your chances of winning are almost three times better than FanDuel or DraftKings. Download Draft now, go to playdraft.com or search in the App Store and enter the promo code LOFANTASY when you download to get a 100% deposit bonus. My name is Josh Lloyd, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b-ball follow me along there and thanks to everyone who has followed me my twitter followers have gone up significantly over the last three to four weeks so i do appreciate all the new followers and new listeners to this podcast as well so you can uh, always chime in and uh, and tweet me questions or comments over on uh on the uh, twitter.com we had uh nba stuff happening as we do every day Tuesday, there were only the five games on, but there was still lots of stuff that was going down on those uh, five games, and we've got a big, big 11-game Wednesday coming up, so... Let's get to it, to it. I will. Michael Bolton, thank you for the, uh, thank you for the advice. Um, before I get into all of all that stuff, though, I just wanted to give a, a quick mention of something that's going to be happening tomorrow. You may have heard of it already, but... Uh, Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue, which you guys probably know who they are. They've been guests on this podcast before. They are the co-hosts of the Dunked On Basketball podcast. Danny hosts Locked On Warriors as well. They've been approached by Twitter to do an NBA halftime and post-game show. It's it's really, it's really a huge deal for, for them, and it's a huge deal just for basketball analysis because if you've ever listened to Dunked On, I know that I, know that I get frustrated by listening to yeah, announcing teams and halftime shows talking talking shit that is really irrelevant, incorrect, um, and from five years ago. Yeah, Nate and Danny don't do that. So Twitter's given them an opportunity, which is, it's, it's awesome that Twitter's reached out to two independent guys like myself. I suppose this is why this resonates with me as well, is that they're guys creating a podcast independently and quit their full-time jobs to, to start doing this. Nate used to be a lawyer and said, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm doing this podcast full-time and he's made it successful and Twitter's reached out. So what they're going to do tomorrow is during two of the games tomorrow, and it's going to be a, a weekly thing most likely, um, during Warriors Raptors tomorrow and the Grizzlies Clippers, they're doing a 10-minute live show during halftime, which will be tweeted out on Periscope. They're recording live from Twitter headquarters and then they're going to do a 30-minute post-game show. So rivaling the halftime and post-game shows I guess you see on TV, but with people who, who are, are smart, they're, uh, they're locked on, so to speak, to, to what they're talking about. And I think it's really important that, that we support those guys, support the independent guys, and support the guys who, who speak common sense, who, who aren't afraid to say when someone's playing poorly or, or playing well and back it up with, with facts and stats. So I know you've, you're probably following me on Twitter. 
I'm sure you follow them. But once once their show goes live tomorrow at halftime and post game, I'm going to tweet out the links. I'm going to be watching it. It's a huge opportunity, not only for them, but for for if, I guess me by proxy, just for the fact that Twitter is reaching out to these independent podcasters and, and independent anal- analysts and looking at them and going, we can actually make things better. And I think that Danny and, and, and Nate are going to be able to do that. So it, it'd be great if you guys are sitting at home and you don't want to hear the, the standard bullshit that comes out of the, the summit. Not all of them, because a lot of the TV crews are good. Well, some of them are good. Most of them are poor. But if you want to you hear what comes out of those, uh, don't want to hear what comes out of the TV announced crews, tune into Danny and Nate on the uh, the Twitter live halftime show during those uh, Cavs sorry, Warriors, Raptors, and Grizzlies, Clippers games tomorrow and the uh, and the post-game shows. It's going to be really exciting to see what those guys uh, have got to do and, and how Twitter runs this show. And it's, um, well, Twitter's already doing it with the starters with the Twitter show. Now, Danny and Nate are doing it. They're expanding into that. And I, it, it couldn't be better for just fans of basketball to get smart analysis uh, right on time and, and expanding out into these people who, who know what they're talking about and people who work hard and getting that opportunity. So, I just wanted to to mention that, and hopefully you guys tune in, and hopefully we can uh, we can all make that a success for for Danny and Nate, and it opens up opportunities for so many different people, and improves your experience as a as a basketball watcher as well. The monstrous line of the night. I sent it out a tweet out. Yeah, who's the monstrous line of the night? Lots of responses. I think two people predicted uh, that it would be Kemba Walker, and it is Kemba Walker, obviously, because I just said it was Kemba Walker. I suppose being the first game of the night. His performance, uh, or one of the early games, so not the first game of the night, his performance maybe fades into the background based on what you saw in that last game when D'Angelo Russell was going off, but Walker was fantastic. He dropped 30 points again, and this is despite having to go to the locker room with a sore back. He hit two triples, but five rebounds, six assists, five steals, which is huge, 12 of 19 from the field, which is massive, especially from Kemba Walker, and four of four from the free throw line. He has been an absolute animal for this team so far this season putting together huge numbers. He should have been an all-star last year, in my opinion. I think that he's going to be one this year. He's a top 10 current fantasy player, averaging 26 a game. He's averaging 27 a game over the last two weeks. He's hitting in excess of three threes. He's got his assists up to five and a half. He's got two steals a game, four boards. He's shooting 49%, which is massive. It's not going to stay there. Considering he was a 38% guy two seasons ago. He's at 84 from the line. He's shooting 48 from three. He is almost as red hot as anybody not named James Harden or DeMar DeRozan. I reckon that's probably fair fair to say at the moment. He's putting together just huge, huge numbers. Actually, over the last week, he's the third-ranked player in fantasy and uh, really putting together some some monster, monster numbers. So Kemba Walker is the monstrous line of the night. And uh, again, I said a lot of people... Uh, they weren't, they weren't they weren't having Kemba as their monstrous line of the night. That wasn't the uh, popular selection, but here he is, and it, I think you'll find it's pretty hard to argue with those uh, with those numbers there. As I mentioned, today's podcast is brought to you by Draft, and I already know you guys love playing fantasy because you listen to this podcast. I know that by interacting with you guys on Twitter, you love playing fantasy, and you can do that on Draft. Draft is a simple daily fantasy app, but instead of choosing guys based on a salary cap, you do it based on a snake draft. Just exactly the same as you do at the start of the season. You can have leagues on draft, you know, two players, up to 10 players, and it's just a mini snake draft. You can do them whenever you want. They last for just one day. So it's combining daily fantasy with season-long fantasy into one, I guess, unique concept. On draft, you can play for free or you can play for money, and the chances of actually winning money on draft are almost three times higher than Fangio and DraftKings. Go ahead and try it. 
not only is it is it a fun way to, to play and try it out for free, see how you go. And then you know, if, if you want to play some money, play some money. Download Draft. But when you do download Draft, if you enter the promo code LOFANTASY for Locked On Fantasy, so promo code LOFANTASY, enter that promo code and you get a 100% deposit bonus match. So you put in 20 bucks, they'll add an extra 20 bucks into your account. Really easy. I know that people in Australia and the Philippines have been asking me how come it's not showing up because it's not available uh, in our app stores. If you've got a US, uh, a US iTunes account, you can check that out and you can you can download the app that way. But this is for, for residents of the United States, which is uh, the bulk of the listeners to this podcast. Go and there have been a great supporter of this podcast, the guys at Draft. So go and support them. Download their app. Enter that promo code LOFANTASY. Play around on it. Win some money. I'm sure with your knowledge, you'll be able to win some uh, significant cash as well. So check out uh, check out the Draft draft app. Yeah, draft. Go to playdraft.com. There's a the links there or just straight into your app store. Download it. But don't forget that promo code, which is LOFANTASY. And that's going to get you on your way with a 100% deposit match bonus. The waiver wire line of the night. Boyan Bogdanovich, 29 points for Boyan. He hit two triples. He had three boards and one assist, two steals, and went 11 of 18 from the field. And it's a pretty Boyan bogdanovich type of performance, I guess, is probably the, the, the best way of saying it. The scoring was there, but there's very, very little else that, that he's doing. And this is exactly what he uh, exactly what he can do. He is averaging almost 15 points a game this season. He's hitting 1.73s a game but he just doesn't contribute in the other areas. He's very hit or miss. Yes, he's a top 100 player at the moment. I think he's probably more a 14-team must-own rather than a 12-team must-own um, because he's so so up and down. But at the moment, no one's taking the minutes off him. Now, with Karis Levert on his way back, Jeremy Lin on his way back, maybe that impacts Bogdanovich slightly because he, he just doesn't have that ability in the other statistical categories to, to really buoy his value as we uh, as we continue on throughout the season but he's he's worth owning in certain situations you need points sure boyan's going to be that guy you need some threes he can help you there you want anything else well you're probably going to have to look in different directions it was good that he got some steals in in this game and he hit the shots at a high rate, but that's not something that he's well known to do. He's a really good free throw shooter, and he's going at 94% this season. But I don't believe that, that Boyan Bogdanovich is a uh, is a must-own player at this point. David Wurzberger, who's the host of Locked On Nets, he'll have any information you want to know about what Kenny Atkinson's doing with this squad, about Boyan, about the return of Karis Levert, which is something I'm really excited about Um he probably won't play a significant role maybe until January, but he is going to be back pretty soon, which is really exciting. He'll see some games with Long Island, I imagine, and then he'll be uh, up with the big boys. But Karis Levert's a really interesting prospect, and I, uh, I can't wait to actually listen to what David has to say about his return over on Locked On Net. So check out Locked On Nets and the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. The young gun of the night. This is the guy that most people wanted to be the monstrous line of the night, and it is D'Angelo Russell. It was a huge game from Russell, 32 points, 7 triples, 8 boards, 4 assists, 3 steals, and great shooting as well. 11 of 20 from Russell. I've talked about him you know, quite a few times this season, and people were, were panicking a little bit with him. And I said, look, he's ranked 90th playing 26 minutes a game. He's going to get better than this, and I believe that Walton is going to continue getting his minutes up as the season goes, and he'll end up playing 30 minutes a night as the season wears on. 
but he's still putting up big numbers. In fact, over the last two weeks, he's playing less than 27 a night, and he's a top 40 player. 17.5 points, 2.5 threes, 4 boards, 5 assists, 1.1 steals on 47% shooting. You can't complain about those numbers. He's shooting 43% from three. His numbers are all significantly up on last year, despite his minutes being down. And when the minutes start to come up, which I have no doubt that they will, they will come up. They might not come up to 34 a night, which is what initially we were thinking in the preseason. We thought Walton was going to rely upon him really heavily, and he's not doing that. But he will get up to 30+. plus. I'm pretty sure that that's what he'll be playing after the after the new year, and you'll, you'll see these numbers flying. Yeah, but they're flying anyway. His last four games, he's giving you 20 points a game in 27 minutes. Very hard to complain about that from D'Angelo Russell. He looks big and physically dominant against these other point guards. When he was matched up against Yogi Ferrell today, it didn't look fair. Like He looked double his size for two guys playing the same position. Another reason why it's it's never a great idea to panic in these first couple of uh, weeks of a season, Russell is going to be able to turn it around, and he has already started to turn it around. And I think the only way he can go really is up. Maybe his shot can drop off, but I think his minutes will come up and then the rest of the stuff will come with it. He's putting in some big numbers and the Lakers are continuing to get wins. They're in a really tough part of their schedule coming up now. That might be a little bit difficult for them, but they've been better than anyone could expect. And Russell is uh, thought he would have a breakout year and a couple of quiet ones early, but he's, uh, he's definitely turning it on at the moment. The dart of the night. You know I'm not a big Marvin Williams fan, so this probably doesn't come as any surprise that Marv is the dud of the night. Just the six points for Marv, one board, one assist, one of nine shooting, and one block. He, after a ridiculous season last season, to be honest, he finished 72nd last year. He's ranked 164th this year. His scoring is down. Uh, His shooting is down. I don't imagine it staying at 34%. But also, I didn't imagine his three-point percentage would go up to 40 last year. So that sort of regressed back to career averages. He's at 35% from three this year. He's only getting seven boards a game, which is about the same as last year. But his block numbers are well down. And that the block performance from last season was fluky. He'd never averaged more than half a block a game. Last year, he was at one block a game. This year, he's down to half a block a game. So which one's the real Marvin Williams? You would have to think that this one is. This is what he's done all his career up until last season. And I said it a million times last season. I just don't think he's that good. And he continued to prove me wrong last season, but he is regressing significantly. Now, he's shooting. He's not going to be at 34%, which is currently what he's shooting. We know that he will get better, and that will increase his scoring output and his overall value. But it's the defense that really carried him last season, and the, three point, the high three-point percentage as well. And I'm not sure if those two things come back up. So... Is he a must-own player? I probably would. I, I think I do own him in a couple of leagues. I would still own him in 12-team leagues, but he's probably you know, your 12th or 13th best player on a roster, not like last season where he was the 9th or 10th best guy. I don't think it's realistic at the age of 30 for him to just completely transform. Last year, it felt fluky every time he did it, and at this stage, it's appearing a little bit fluky, but we don't want to read too much into it, and we definitely don't want to expect him to continue to shoot 34% from the field. That won't stick. He will get better there. Then his numbers will start to look better, and I'll probably look like a dick for saying he's no good, but, but he isn't that good. And with Frank Kaminsky starting to you know, stamp his authority on things, I've said this a few times, I think Kaminsky's going to be a real sneaky guy who, who you know, can maybe carve out a 25 to 26-minute role as the season wears on. And they might start cutting Marv down a little bit. I think there's a, there's a significant risk of that. So Marv is not not a an absolute must hold sort of player, but 
if there's no if there's no one great to grab, then you hold it and you and you wait and see because he will be better from, than this. But I don't know if he's going to be as good as what he was last season because that was a pretty high bar for a guy that honestly has never been able to get anywhere near those heights at any time throughout his career previously. Let's look at the uh, the games now in more detail. The first game, the Toronto Raptors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Really, really good game. Exciting uh, atmosphere at this game. Some horrible refereeing decisions at the end, but it is what it is. Kyle Lowry was big. 28-5-9. Four triples, four steals, 40 minutes. Big, big night from Lowry. Really efficient as well. DeMar Rosen couldn't quite get it done, and by that I meant that he shot 37% from the field on 10 of 27 shooting. Still had 26, 6, and 4 with three steals and hit two triples. So you really got it done there, but an uncharacteristic 4 of 8 from the free throw line for DeMar DeRozan. We couldn't expect him to continue to be a 53, 54% shooter. We knew that there were going to have to be games where he goes at 30% or 35%, and that will happen a couple of times to, to bring that number back down. And this was one of them. And and it will it will happen again. There's no doubt about that. He was the prime regression candidate. We knew this was going to happen, but he's not going to regress that far. He's still going to score 20 plus. He's going to get four rebounds, four assists. He's going to get a steal. He's going to get to the line a lot and shoot a high percentage. That is just what he's going to do. There was no Damari Carroll again out for rest. Um, I'd almost argue that he's out for being shitful, but it is what it is. Norm Powell got another start and proved once again that he's good. A shock. I know. It's a shock. 29 minutes for Norm. 12, 3, and 3. Three triples, one block. Is he a 12-team league guy? If you've got a streaming spot, I don't hate just grabbing him and holding him because he is better than Carroll. I'm convinced of that. And a lot of that is Carroll's knee. I'm, I'm sure that there's some, some of that it's Carroll's knee. But there's also some of it that he's just not that good. Now, whether Dwayne Casey recognizes that and continues to give Normie big minutes... I think that's where your doubt is. But maybe Casey realizes that this, this season's been a, a lot of situations of coaches doing some dumb stuff, but also some situations of coaches realizing when players actually should be in different roles and, and, and working towards that. So maybe there's some hope for Powell. He's, because, look, often you'll see a starter get injured and a coach will put someone else in because they don't want to disrupt the bench unit and then they, they play that starter 18 minutes or so. That happens often. But with Powell, he's coming in, he's starting, he's playing more minutes than what the actual starter was. Carroll's playing 22 a night. Powell's coming in and playing 29 a night. So it's it's not just a, you're a fill-in placeholder starter so we don't mess up the bench rotation. It's like you're coming in and shit, you're, you're doing well. You're, you're working yourself into a significant role here. So it is going to be interesting to see. If he starts, you know he's a must-own player. Well, in my mind, he is anyway. It's just, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of queries about how long it actually lasts and what they do. I we'll guess we'll see tomorrow with Carroll likely to be back for that game against the Warriors. Interesting to see what Casey does. But a preemptive add of power, knowing that Carroll is just not that good, might might work out for you in the long run. This was also a good Terrence Ross game. 18 points with four triples and a couple of steals. He's still that deeper league guy. And the uh, Bebe situation was not was not good. He had lots of foul problems, five fouls in under 10 minutes, four boards and one block, and did not attempt a single shot. This was the risk. You know, is Bebe a must-own guy? We don't know what they're going to do with him once Valanciunas' knee is ready to go, and Valanciunas played 34 and Bebe played 10. So 
is look, Bebe was a top. He was no shit. He was a, a top twenty player in those four games he played. Ridiculous numbers. But it was never going to sustain at that level. Will he play more than nine minutes forty nine on most nights? Absolutely, he will. I've got no doubt he'll play more than that. Will he play twenty seven a night? No chance. I don't think there's any way that he does that. He'll slot into that 18 to 20 minute role, which is probably going to make him a 14 to 16 team league type of player, not a must own 12 team league guy. Patrick Patterson had two points in his 34 minutes, and that's pretty stock standard for him, while Valanciunas did have the 14 and 9 in his 34. Onto the Cavs, big one from LeBron, 28, 9, and 14 with a couple of threes. Tristan Thompson double-doubled with 15 and 11, as did Kevin Love, who went 19 and 13, and Kyrie 24, 5 and 4. And both Love and, and Kyrie played 35 minutes after sitting the entire fourth quarter of that game the other day against the Hornets. The big story from a fantasy point of view is Channing Fry, who played less than 20 minutes. He hit another five triples, had 21 points, three boards, an assist, and a block on 7 of 10 shooting. He is not afraid to let it fly. He is hitting threes at a ridiculously high rate, and he can be owned in 12-team leagues. He's not a must-own guy because his value is really tied you know, specifically to three-pointers, but he does block some shots, and the scoring is there. And that might be useful on your team. Do you need threes? Channing Fry is going to play 20 minutes a night, maybe more. He's going to attempt threes, and he's probably going to hit two a game, and that can be useful for you. You just need to see how it fits your team, who you're dropping, all that sort of stuff. But getting a guy that might give you 14 or 15 points and three three triples a night and maybe a block and a half in 20 minutes, it's fine. But it's not for everybody. And he's going to find it hard to get a 30-minute roll. There's no chance he's getting a 30-minute roll. But 20 is basically locked in for Channing Fry. So putting up some nice numbers. No J.R. Smith again. Uh, so Richard Jefferson got the start. He played five minutes. No, he didn't. He played 26 minutes and scored five points. So nothing uh, nothing really too exciting to report there. Another three assists for Iman Shumpert and two blocks. Just keeps sneaking these defensive numbers and assist numbers in. Not a great overall night from him, but he's been much better than I anticipated he would be this season. The Atlanta Hawks and the Miami Heat. First off, Dwight Howard left the game with a left quad bruise. He lasted 25 minutes, had 11 and 11 with a th- with three steals. He said the contusion is really painful, but he's going to see if he can play on Wednesday. So it's not a serious injury. So questions are, are, are coming out. Do I do I add Mike Muscala? Well, with 11 games on Wednesday and Dwight yep, questionable to play, you would have to think that Dwight is not going to miss any time aside from Wednesday if he misses. And if you add Muscala, he's probably not going to have use anyway. Now, Muscala was great. Again, I think he's leading the league in field goal percentage. He was 6 of 7 for 14 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 threes, and a steal. I think that he's ahead of Thiago Splitter when he comes back. He's clearly ahead of Chris Humphreys um, and Mike Scott. And he's going to maintain this 20-minute-ish role. But I don't think going and adding him in case Howard misses Wednesday, is going to benefit you at all because you're probably not going to even be able to play Muscala. In a 14-team league, you're sure he's an ownable guy. In a 12, I can even understand situations in a 12-team league where you would own him and you would just ride out this nice efficiency, the decent scoring, and the solid rebounding. He does have fantasy upside, so there's definitely no reason against owning him in a 12-team league, but doing it just on the basis that Dwight Howard bruised his thigh, I don't think he's going to really work out for you in the long term. Dennis Schroeder, I think he's, I read today, he's the only Hawks player to score in double figures in uh, in every game this season. Another 18 for him with two triples and four assists. Timmy Hardaway had 15 with two steals in 24 minutes. And Kent Bazemore, a defensive showing again from him. Two steals and two blocks on uh, four of 12 shooting only for 12 points. And you know, 
I said at one point, maybe you don't want to hold on to him. I still think you need to hold on to him, but he really isn't a uh, fantastic player. Paulie Millsap is struggling. Lots of people are panicking. I uh, I sounded the Paul Millsap warning bells in the preseason quite a bit before his knee injury. Um, not many people bought into it. Not many people believed me. Not that I was telling the truth. That was my speculation. But people said, Josh, I think you're crazy with that one. But I said there's, there is a, a legit risk. Minimal risk is what I said. I'm not saying that I predicted Paul Millsap was going to be bad. I said there's a legitimate risk that at the age of 31 and with the addition of Dwight Howard, that he's going to drop off. He saw ridiculous numbers post-All-Star break, you know, blocking over two shots a game, which is not something he's ever done before. The guy's 31 years old. And once you hit 30 and you're not an elite, 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 elite player, you know, things tend to drop off. And Millsap has dropped. Now, the saving grace with him is that it's dropping off because he's not shooting. He's like at 42% from the field, and he was 7 of 17 here, and 1 of 2 from the line. Yeah, 15, 6, and 4 with two steals is still pretty good numbers, but it's the field goal percentage that's really killing you, and that will bounce back. He won't stay at 42% this season, so there was lots of people going around, yeah, Millsap's a first-rounder, which I scoffed at openly. There's no way that I'll take him in the first round. No chance they would want him anywhere near the first round. He was a back-end second-round guy to me, and I still believe that he can get back to that area. So it's a buy-low opportunity. People panic, and they're doing it now with Paul Millsap. But the shot will come back. The numbers will come back. If you can buy low and get him back to being a top 25 guy, which is a realistic possibility, I think I think you'd do it. Kyle Korver stunk four points in 29 minutes. He stunk fantasy-wise. He still does a lot for this team with his spacing, but that doesn't show up in the fantasy box score, so you can move on from Korver if for some reason... You are still holding on to him in a 12-team league. On to the Miami Heat, there was no Goran Dragic with his ankle. And then Justice Winslow with a wrist injury. Now, the reports for this wrist injury are a little bit weird. There's no... X-rays were negative, so no fracture. But it doesn't appear like it's just a one-game absence. It feels like they said, well, he just needs to, to fully rest. That, to me, appears like we're going to be missing multiple games here for Justice Winslow. Now, until we get a set timetable, it's hard to know exactly what to do with him. I still believe that you're holding him at this point and seeing where it goes, but let's let's see what more information comes out with for Miami. I don't think this is a one-game situation. But with Winslow out and Dragic out, it was Joshy Richardson time. 19 points for Josh in 38 minutes. Four boards, two assists, two steals, three blocks. Fantastic. And this is one of the things that he can do. He was fueled by really high three-point percentage last season, but he's a good shot blocker. He's a good defensive player, and he can handle the ball. And that's where I thought his value was going to come, as well as having an extra opportunity to score on offense. I think he should be owned everywhere. Look, if you've got Gary Harris, who's now been diagnosed as out for four weeks, Harris is drop him. Unless you've got IR, Harris is gone. Go and add Josh Richardson if you haven't already, which you probably should have. Deion Waiters couldn't back up his huge performance. Still did it defensively, though. Three steals and a block for Waiters in 34 minutes. 11 points, not good shooting. He, he just makes some really, really disgusting decisions with the ball. And when Dragic is back, and when Winslow is back, hopefully he's the guy that cops the biggest hit. Rod Magruder played 37 minutes. That is a ripping name. 37 minutes for Rod. Eight points, four rebounds, three assists, and two steals. Huge night from Magruder, but... I think when Dragic and Winslow are back, he goes back to not playing at all, and as Waiters goes back to that 20-minute roll. Tyler Johnson had 14-2-2, a decent night from Johnson. I think that he is fine as a 12-team league guy. And one of the biggest, no, 
I don't know, uh, poster boys, I guess, for this guy's starting, should I add him? Derek Williams. Yeah, he's starting. And he went from zero minutes to 18 minutes, so that's a bonus. But 18 minutes is nothing. Six points, one rebound, one assist, one steal. He, he doesn't fully have the coach, the trust of coach Eric Spolstra. And James Johnson's out playing him. And Luke Babbitt's out of the rotation basically completely. But Williams is not the guy to add. If you're adding anyone, it's Johnson, who we know has got tremendous defensive stat ability. But he added three triples, 13 points with a steal and a block here. And played 26 minutes. And he's been playing these 20 plus minutes on most nights. I don't. He's not a must-own 12 guy, but if you're lacking in defense and you're in a 14-team league, then he's an absolute must-own to me in a 14-team league at this point. To get these rare defensive numbers, and he's going to play 20-ish plus minutes a night, That's that can be really useful. So keep an eye on James Johnson. His ownership percentage is really, really low. Um, he could be around in a, in a 14, and you can you can make a case that he's a, he's a 12-team league guy. Charlotte and Minnesota. Spoke about Kemba before. I probably should uh, explain the title of this podcast because people will have zero idea unless you live in this great country of Australia. The podcast is called Tangles, um, based on a former Australian footballer and Australian cricketer and then media personality, Max Walker, and his nickname was Tangles. So I was just thinking, what am I going to call this podcast? Walker, Walker, Maxi Walker, bang, Kemba, Tangles, Walker. So from now on, I'm going to be going with Kemba's nickname as Tangles, and that will confuse probably more people than the pencil. But if you ever want to look up uh, look up Max Max Walker or, or Tangles Walker on Google, and you'll see uh, the very Australian 70s look that, uh, that Max used to sport when he was out there playing cricket for us. So that's my explanation for the title of this show. Nick Batum is, is on, a, on a roll. 16, 5, and 7, 4 triples and 3 steals. He's really, really good. And Cody Zeller. Not everything he does always shows up in the box score, but it did today. 14 and 9 with a block in 31 minutes. You know I've been liking Zeller for all of the preseason, and I think that he's a 12-team league guy. He's not going to blow you away. But he is just going to provide solid percentages, scoring boards, uh, steals not bad, and get you some blocks. And 14 and 9 with a block on 67% shooting is pretty bloody good to me. So I think that he has 12 team value, no doubt. And I have owned him since the preseason, and I'm continuing to do so. Mick Kid Gilchrist, not a big night, 6 and 6 with a block, but, but uh, hold tight there. And Roy Hibbert had 9 points in his 12 minutes. I don't believe he's a real threat to Zeller's playing time. Spencer Hawes, with everyone back, Hawes played just the four minutes. That was the concern. Had Hawes played himself into a bigger role? It doesn't appear so at this point. And Frank the Tank Kaminsky, I've talked about him for a while. This is a huge night for Kaminsky. 20 points, four boards, five assists, three triples, one steal, one block. Filling up the box score. The assists is probably the anomaly there. But he just, he's been pushing for this extra role. And, and I think it's coming. I... If you want to get on board someone early, I don't hate grabbing Frank Kaminsky. It might take a couple of weeks, but I think he's going to push into a 26 or 27-minute role moving forward and provide some offense for this team. I don't think he's ever getting to 30 in the near future, but he's going to play more than last year, and he was serviceable last season. And his game is is fairly fantasy-friendly. Not as fantasy-friendly as what we saw today from him, but it is fairly fantasy-friendly. So he is a name. he is a name to watch. Uh, Marco Bellinelli had 12 points, but we don't care. On to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Zach Levine was back. No Brandon Rush. No Shabazz Muhammad. So Levine back into the starting lineup, and that pushed Nemanja Bielitsa back to the bench. And I'm sure everyone who, who grabbed Bielitsa or wanted to grab Bielitsa, this is what we wanted to see. And this is what I, you, know, you urge caution about. 
He played 40 minutes because there was no one around. Will they take away from Gorgie Jeng's role to put Bielitsa in there? I didn't think they would, and they didn't. He played under 21 minutes and had six points with two triples. And he did this last season a lot as well. He'd have one big game and everyone, for some reason, was willing to, to get, come around and give him a reach around and be like, oh, Nemanja, Nemanja, come on, man. Professor Big Shots, we love you. And I don't really know what creates that phenomena, but it was there. And not saying he's not a good player by any stretch, but I don't think he's done enough to, to find himself in a 30-minute role that's going to be useful for fantasy. Jeng bounced back. Defensive stuff, he was there. Steal a block, 9 points, 11 boards in 33 minutes. And Rick Rubio, he approached a triple-double. 11-8-8 eight eight with two triples and a steal. And 40% shooting from Rick again. Just uh, just getting it done at the moment, big, uh, big Rick, Rick Rubio. The Timberwolves, it was a horrible, horrible loss. They were up by big, heading in. Up by big, that sounds terrible. They were up by a lot heading into the third quarter and just got smashed in that third quarter once again. Wiggins, 29 points, two blocks, three assists. The percentages weren't there in both categories, but the scoring just continues to come for him. And Carl Anthony Towns went 21-8-4, and and he hit three triples. Towns took 10 shots from behind the three-point line. He hit three of them, but 10 shots, it's a lot. Zach Levine took 10 as well, and Wiggins took six. So 26 between those three guys is a is a huge amount. Levine, in his first game back, hit five of them and had 19 points. And uh, back in business for him, not much else in the other categories, though, for, uh, for Zaki. What about Adrian Payne? Two games in a row doing something, which is, that's the biggest compliment I can give Adrian Payne at this point. No Tyus Jones at all in this one. Chris Dunn played 30 minutes and looked actually pretty good. So I, I give I, I do give credit where, it's, credit where it's due, and I'm not an anti-Chris Dunn person. I'm an anti-unfounded Chris Dunn hype person. 4-2-3 and three for Dunn with a steal and a block. And he looked really good out there, but he's not as good as Rick Rubio. The next game. I don't even know how to how to put this into words. I'll try, because that's what my job is. The Chicago Bulls and the Portland Trailblazers. When the Bulls come out and just smoke the Blazers, and the Blazers can't hit a single shot, it makes you think, what the hell is going on? The Bulls were without Doug McDermott. They were without Michael Carter-Williams. And they were without Rajon... Oh, actually, that's probably a benefit that Rajon Rondo wasn't there. In fact, it wasn't just maybe a benefit. It was a massive, massive positive that Rondo wasn't there. He is terrible. He has been terrible for years. He is a negative to the teams that he is on. I'm not saying Jaron Grant is the is the truth. I'm not saying Jaron Grant is the answer. But when the Bulls made the trade to trade Derek Rose away, I was excited. Because I thought Grant had value, and Grant should have been developing in New York instead of Jose Calderon's ass last season. But that's not what uh, Phil Jackson and if you want, you should go and watch the Adrian Wojnarowski video on Phil Jackson. It's uh, it's pretty interesting stuff, and it's all it's all accurate. I don't understand why they didn't develop Grant last year and give up on him uh, after one season. And when the Bulls made that trade, I went, yes, you know what, this is great. Let's see what this guy. Let's develop a young point guard. If it doesn't work out, look, we'll get a higher draft pick. Let we'll let Jim Butler run the show. Let's let's see what Grant can offer. Yeah, we'll get Denzel in there as well. And then and then and then Rondo happened. And Rondo's bad, but Grant was good. Thirty minutes, eighteen points, two triples, three rebounds, two assists, five steals. I reckon he should have got more assists than that. His vision looked good. His passing looked good. He actually gave a shit defensively, which. It is such. I don't. As a Chicago fan, I don't know how to process that because Rajon Rondo doesn't. Derek Rose didn't. We have a point guard who who gave a shit defensively. Aaron Brooks didn't. DJ Augustine didn't. This is a guy that that was hounding people, and it was coming. It was coming good. He had five steals, and he won't do it all the time. 
but he was good. The problem is that Rondo is going to be back and it's going to push Grant back to this bullshit role of playing five minutes a game. I don't know what Hoiberg does with it. Um, Grant's a better point guard than Isaiah Cannon. I know that much. Cannon's been solid for this team, but he, he's not he's not that good. I'd be interested to see if they if they run Grant out there a little bit more or they just continue to put Cannon out there and run Butler as a point guard, which is fine as well. But Grant, big, big numbers um, and worth a flyer in, say, a 20-team up just in case he holds on to a 20-minute roll, which seems unlikely, but, but you never know. It, it might be possible. Jim Butler, 27-12-5 with a three-pointer, continues to play exceedingly well. And Dwayne Wade, 19-5-5 with two steals and a block. And those guys handling some of the the ball distributing responsibilities as well, which is another reason why the Bulls just don't need Rondo. They just don't need him. Double-double from Taj and a double-double from Robin Lopez. And this new Robin Lopez offensive focal point thing is weird. He took 15 shots. He only hit six of them, but he's taking big chunks of shots and getting big chunks of minutes recently. When at the start of the year, he was invisible. He would played like 18 minutes a night and wouldn't touch it. But you have to own him now, clearly. He's getting the shots, he's getting the minutes, he's getting the boards, and he's getting the blocks. And that's why you would have owned him. You would have owned him for his high percentages as well, which unfortunately didn't come to fruition in this one. But good stuff. Nick Miritich, not a not a great night from Miritich. Only the 19 minutes, 8 points, 8 boards, 2 triples. It's not a horrible performance, but obviously you want more. I am still holding him in 12-team uh, in leagues. In 10-team leagues... I'm probably less rigid with that, but in a 12-team league, I am still holding him. And Bobby Portis is still not ready for the NBA. He should go and play for Windy City. Also, the Portland Trailblazers, anti-shout-out to you. His name is not Cristiano Feliciano. It's Cristiano Felicio. It's not Feliciano. And that's about five times in a row. It's not Feliciano. I'm sure you're listening. It's not Feliciano. As for Feliciano... He, uh, he should be playing ahead of Portis. Portis is just not ready for the NBA. He just looks lost. And I'm really beginning to fear that he's just never going to become a good player or even an average player because he's definitely not there at this point. On to the Blazers. Alan Crabb had 15 points in 33 minutes, including three triples and a steal and a block. Good stuff from Crabb. I still don't think that he's really... He's not a must-own guy in 12-team leagues. It's as simple as that. Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum both struggled with their shots. 7 of 22 for Lillard and 7 of 17 for McCollum. They still, McCollum still had 17, 4, and 4, and Lillard still went 19, 5, and 4. So still some good numbers from them, but not, not their best performance. While Mo Harkless did his damage defensively, three steals and a block with eight boards, and I believe Mo is a must-own 12-team league player. Uh, Myers. Myers Leonard started in place of El Camino for the third consecutive game, and he was terrible. 0 of 6 for 0 points with 2 boards and a block. He'd been solid-ish in those first two games, but nothing spectacular and definitely nothing that was making me want to go and grab him, and this just enforces that uh, thought process. This game was such a blowout. We had 9 minutes of Pat Connaughton, and that's uh, that's really all you need to know about the uh, the level of competition in this game in the second half. The Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers. Brookie Lopez was playing. He played 31 minutes, and his owners must have been frothing. 30 and 10 for Brook, four triples, three assists, three blocks. That is a monster. The early season panic, it is subsided. There will be some more rests. We can see that happening. And he there'll be games where he doesn't play 30 minutes. But at this point, it's almost in that Chris Paul territory where even if he's not getting 31 minutes, he's providing 32 minutes worth of value in 28 minutes. The numbers are really good for him. And think back to that first game where he was just not only limited in minutes, but just invisible in the offense, and it just feels really weird. 
He was great. Trevor Booker, 11 and 10, filled the staff, sh- staff sheet, the stat sheet, a steal, two blocks, a triple, must own player. Isaiah Whitehead did play in this one, but only the nine minutes coming back from a concussion. While Yogi Ferrell, he looked good, Yogi Ferrell, 11 points and four assists in 19 minutes. Lynn is still a couple of games away. 16 teamers, I reckon you look at adding Ferrell and just seeing how that plays out for you. Joe Harris had seven points and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, it wasn't a good Rondé game, 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. Did have the two steals and I'm sure that's why you own Rondé, but the other numbers had been good recently, just not a good performance from him here. I still, I do believe he is a hold. As for Sean Kilpatrick, fouls really bothered him. This is two stinkers in a row. 19 minutes for Kilpatrick, six and four. Um, not, not a lot to like there. When Lynn comes back, maybe it helps him because he doesn't have to play point guard, which is not his position. If you own Kilpatrick, he's probably the worst guy on your roster, so that means that he is open to be dropped and for that position to be streamed. On to the Lakers, Julius Randle. Another triple-double. This is his second career triple-double. I never really thought I'd say that, but big numbers. Not much else in the other areas, and by not much else, I mean nothing. No threes, no steals, no blocks. But a 17-14-10 game is still an impressive performance from Randle. And this is the last time I'm going to say it, but I was wrong about him. Um, he is better than I anticipated, and he's, he looks like a different player, to be honest, this season. Big game from Tim Mozgov, 20 points in 29 minutes. I don't really think this portends all that much for the future and makes him a 12-team league guy, but, but it was nice to see. And Lou Williams finally shit the bed, 2 of 11 shooting. And this was always going to happen, as I stressed before. He's not going to continue to shoot at 49%. He went at 18% in this one to drop his numbers back down. Maybe this is the start of a slight cold streak. I'd still hold him, but a lot of his value was really inflated by this hyper-exaggerated field goal percentage. Uncle P played 28 minutes, just the five for him with three assists. Not really a 12-team league guy, I don't believe. And Brandon Ingram, closing games for this team. It is, it's going to be a while before he impacts the stat sheet, no doubt. But he is defensive. He's going to be defensive. He's going to put up triple ones. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Two blocks, no steals, no threes, but it is going to happen, and he's going to have value, but it's probably not going to come, I would say, until January would be my guess. So he's a wait-and-see player in 12-team leagues. If you're in a roto league and you've got game limits and you've got a bench, obviously, I don't hate grabbing him and just sitting him there and seeing that once he gets more comfortable and once he gets more in the flow of the offense... Do we see start start to see fifteen and six with a triple one? He he could really start to do that. His shot hasn't been great this year, and that will come. But that normally does start to come January, February is when rookie shots really start to come in. So he's really hard to deal with in a daily changes at the moment. But he's he's one to keep an eye on because Luke Walton loves him, loves him for his defense, and loves him for what he's doing in that uh, in that sense. And Luol Deng doing his best to uh, to rival Joe Kim Noah for which former Bulls player signed the worst contract in the off season. Derek Rose will probably take that crown next season, but at the moment Deng and Noah they're right up there. Who, who's whose contract's worse? Probably Noah's, right? But Jesus, it's, I think they're both signed four years, seventy two. It's it's bad. Lord, he just looks so old. He can't jump. He can't move. He can't do anything. And it's weird because he looked really good last season in Miami down the stretch replacing Chris Bosh. He just looks really, really bad at the moment. That's it for those games. We are, we're going to take a... I uh, pushed the wrong button there on the screen. We're going to take a, uh, a quick break. And then we're going to be back and we're going to start looking at Wednesday's games, all 11 of them, from a DFS point of view. 
DFS action. We'll start by looking back at Tuesday's DFS action and looking at the perfect lineups. Over on FanDuel, we had Kyle Lowry at 54.5, D'Angelo Russell at 48.6, Joshie Richardson 33.8, Nick Batum at 40.5, LeBron 56.8, Butler at 44.9, Frank Kaminsky 34.3, Julius Randle 45.6, Brookie Lopez at 50.5 for a total of 409.5. On DraftKings, Lowry 57.25. Bogdanovich 36.75, LeBron 62.25, Kaminsky had 37, Whiteside had 58.75, Jerry and Grant had 35.75, Julius Randle had 51.75, and Brookie Lopez had 55.5. Also, I didn't mention uh, Whiteside in the Miami Heat portion of the game. He had 25 boards. He was huge, and he's been huge all season. But no, no, no disrespect to Hassan at all. The first game that is up for the games on Wednesday is the New Orleans Pelicans and the Orlando Magic. We've got to check the status of a couple of Pelicans guys. Davis Davis and Etwan Moore are both listed as probable. Davis with the back issue and Moore with the toe problem. I don't think there's any concerns really about them playing, but obviously we need to check out on that. And Drew Holiday will be back on Friday. So still not, not here yet, but he will be back on Friday on a minutes limit, as I uh, mentioned on yesterday's show. So we've still got an opportunity to get Tim Frazier at value. He's at 5,400. He's I feel like he can get 25 out of him on most nights. Now, it's not a great opportunity because the Magic do slow things down. and The defense has been okay, especially against point guards. But Frazier's a, an in-play option, no doubt, at that uh, 5,400 value and on uh, on Fangio. On the other side, Lord Alfred Payton, he's at 5,800. The Pelicans haven't really been able to stop point guards at all this season. And, and Payton's been the one shining light for this team. He's averaging 28 over the last three. He's had a 51-point game chucked in in his last five. Yeah, he's prone to some some poor games, but this is a great matchup for Lord Alfred, and I think there's a real opportunity for him to put up a uh, a decent-sized performance here. I do like him. DJ Augustine is is an interesting tournament guy at minimum salary because there will be nights where occasionally he goes off, but it's, it's very, very uh, unlikely. For the shooting guards, Evan Fournier is at 5,600. He's been... Solid-ish. He has got a pretty decent history against New Orleans of putting up some good numbers. So I don't hate him at 5,600 with the nice matchup happening as well. I reckon there's some other shooting guards you can go for. But Fournier is in the ballpark, more of a cash game guy than a tournament guy. Etwan Moore at 45. I don't want to use him with this toe issue that might might result in him having some limited minutes. And Bud healed at 3,900. Well, we don't need to worry about Bud. Jeffy Green is starting for Orlando. Most likely at small forward, he's priced at $100 above minimum at 3600 But he's not good. Now, if there's an opportunity to, to do something against a team, against the Pelicans, you've got, a good, you've got a good spot for it. He can do something a bit better than what he's done. So in a tournament, a 3600 Jeff Green who gets you 25 points, that's not totally outlandish. I wouldn't want to rely upon it, but I don't think it's completely out of the uh, realm of possibility. Solo Hill at 3,700, that's uh, that's probably less likely to happen. And Aaron Gordon, just with the minutes down, he's at 5,200. You can't you can't use him at this point until they come to their senses and decide to use him in the correct manner. Over at Power Forward, Terrence Jones at 4,500. A big 35er in the last game. We know he's got the potential to do this, but will he be trusted? That is the question. So in cash, there is no way you can rely upon Terrence in, uh, in tournaments. Sure. We know he's got this 35-point upside, which is what he showed 
in the last game. Serge Ibaka's at 5,700. I, I, I can't trust Serge, especially with a $500 price rise. He has not been... Uh, he has not been good this season. 11,400 for Anthony Davis. It's pretty high, but he is averaging over 51 points over the last five games. And it's almost a 50 guaranteed for, for Davis on most nights. So at that, you generally aim for a 5x value. With your high price $10,000 plus guys, you don't need five. Four and a half is normally fine. And you get, say, sixes or, or even sevens out of your low price guys. But for overall, in a cash game on, say, Fangio, you're looking at 300 points, $60,000, 5x value, which is you know, five times value. And Davis is almost going to be a lock-in for four and a half times value. And you get enough value out of these cheaper players, and it works out well for you. So here at that price, almost, almost as reliable as you can get until he goes down and makes me look like an idiot at center. Well, we're not using Nick Vucevic because the minutes are down, the production's down. Now, he is likely to bust out of a slump, but at $6,500, he's still pretty expensive. It is a good matchup. Big men have done well against the Pelicans, but at $6,500, you're hoping for 30 out of uh, out of Vooch, and it just feels a long way off at the moment. Bismack Biombo at 4200 I don't completely hate that because that's not high. He had 23 points in 21 minutes in the last game, and he can get you 20-ish. I reckon you can do better, but he's not a, not a complete write-off. When we're talking about centers who are complete write-offs, we talk about Omar Ashik. The next game we'll take a look at is the Washington Wizards and the Philadelphia 76ers. We don't know 100%, but this is a first, the first half of a back-to-back for the Sixers. So what they've done so far this season is on the home half of a back-to-back, Joel Embiid plays. On the road half of a back-to-back, Jalil Okafor plays. So this is the home half. So we imagine that Okafor is out and Embiid is in. That's how I'm approaching it. And that's you know, framing what I'm doing in terms of my decisions and looking at you know, giving you advice or my thoughts on these uh, matchups. We'll start where we always do with the point guards. 5,000 for Sergio Rodriguez. He has struggled over the last couple of games. He's averaging under 20 in the last five, you can do better than him at point guard. But he's not a horrible pivot guy in a tournament. Hopefully, you know, it starts to click. But he has struggled over the last, say, five to six games. Johnny Wall at 8,900. There was some some uh, thought that he might rest this one, but, but he is playing. He's at 8,900. The production hasn't been great, but he has torched the Sixers in the past. This is a, a pretty decent... I think it's more a tournament than a cash, but I think this is a, a real chance for him to get 50 and I don't know how many people will be on Johnny in this one, but there's a real good chance for a big performance from John Wall. TJ McConnell and Trey Burke, they're not, they shouldn't really be entering your uh, your consideration. At shooting guard, Brad Beal. We don't know if Beal is playing. He's at 5,300. If he was playing, I, I wouldn't mind it, but we don't know yet. And with that uncertainty, I don't think that's a great option. Um, what we had in the last game that he missed, we had Sheldon McClellan starting. And he was he was all right, and you could throw him into a tournament. But I I do think that if Beal is out, then it's going to be a Thornton McClellan toss of the coin, and that's never a great situation for DFS. You might also get some more Thomas Satoransky, who's at thirty seven hundred and posted thirty points in the last game with John Wall out. He might find it hard to get that amount of minutes if it's just Brad Beal out of action, but he's um he at thirty seven hundred. You could do worse than using Satoransky, especially in a tournament-type format. Hollis Thompson is always a punt. He'll go off one every five or six games. He's had He's been quiet the last three, actually. He's averaging just nine points in his last three games. 
But in his last five, he's had a 32-pointer. So that's the sort of you know, change in value that Hollis has. And Nick Stauskas is just giving us consistent 17 to 18-point value. And it's it's all right, but it's it's I'm not excited about it. And I doubt you are. Bob Cove is at 4,600, really poor in the last game. Foul trouble limited him. But he is averaging almost 23 across the last five. And at 4,600, knowing that he can be much better than he has been, I think that he's a, he's a decent, cheap, small forward option. Otto Porter is no longer a cheap, small forward option. He is at 6,300. That is very, very high. And it's a good matchup for Otto. But I, I don't believe that he can really, realistically give you $6,300 worth of value. It just feels like a lot. At power forward, Rashawn Holmes is at 3,700. When he gets the minutes starting, which he'll, he, he's a real... Well, actually, no, he won't start. But when he gets Julie Locafor's minutes, which is what he will do, he's a he's a he's almost a lock to get you 20. And I think that's perfectly fine at 3,700. So I think he is a, a really good value play that enables you to get some value in at some other spots. Dario Saric at 4,100. He's been you know, 20 points a night, basically. And at 4,100, I don't think that should scare you off. I think that's fine, especially in cash. Hey, let's get Dario Saric in. Let's get 40. No, let's not. Well, if you get 40, you're loving it. Let's get 22 points and let's uh, let's call it a call it a day and be happy with it and fill up your rest of your roster spots. Markeith Morris has been fantastic. Dropped 48 in the last game. He's at 5,900. It's not a tough matchup against the Sixers. And with Beal out, I think that Morris becomes, or if Beal is out, Morris becomes a a more attractive guy to look at. So, so pay attention to him at 5,900. I think there's value. And he's been a value play for most of the season, to be honest. As with Sharic, Ersan Ilyasov is at 3,900. And he's been basically 20 points a night over the last week or so anyway. And at 3,900, he is value there too. I wouldn't be using both Sharic and Ilyasova, but one of the two can be used depending, I guess, on, on how you feel on the day. I'd probably take Sharic over Ilyasova, but if you need to save that 200 bucks, Ily can be there and, and give you and give you uh, 20 points, and that's uh, that's fine value. At center, it's uh, it's time to trust the process again. Joel Embiid is at 5600. He's probably his production's been marginally down, but this dude's averaging over his last five games two Fanjul points per minute. No, he's not. He's averaging one and a half points per minute. Let me get that straight. One and a half points per minute. That's huge. It's 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 massive. Now he is averaging just twenty eight in the last three games, but at fifty six hundred, when he's a little bit down, getting twenty eight points is still a win, and he can go out there and put up thirty five comfortably. One of the best centers again on the market. Um, Marching Gortat at sixty four hundred. They're going to continue to play him big minutes because Andrew Nicholson is totally out of the rotation. They'll play some Mark Heath at the four as well. But 6,400 for, for Marcin, I don't think there's much tournament value in that in that uh, increased price. But he has cash game uh, cash game appeal just to give you that 35-point mark and feel pretty confident about him being able to do it. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the Indiana Pacers. J.R. Smith questionable after missing uh, missing today's game. That's really the only injury where we're looking at with this one at point guard. Kyrie's at seven thousand four hundred. He had another another solid thirty five point performance here, and at seven thousand four hundred against an Indiana team whose defense has been questionable. Kyrie's fine to use. On the flip side, Jeffy Teague. Well, he takes on Kyrie, whose defense has been questionable. Now Teague has been less than impressive. And at 6,300, you can probably do better than Jeff Teague, but he's not a complete write-off, I don't think. The rest of the point guards are. At shooting guard, Smith at 4,300. JR, that is, yeah, that'd be great if he was playing, but we don't know, so we'll leave him out of it. Monte Ellis at 5,500. I feel very, very 
uh, skeptical about using Monte Ellis and hoping for 27 points out of him. We don't know. Is it going to be invisible Monte Ellis? Is it going to be bench Monte Ellis? We don't know. So therefore, he's a, he's a stay away for me at the small forward position. CJ Miles at 4,600 has been putting up some pretty solid numbers. Uh, he's got, I think he's got tournament upside and I think he's got cash value. Whereas LeBron at 9,900, as I said with Anthony Davis, this is just lock it in. 45 to 50 points from LeBron basically every single night and and that's that works that works at that sub 10,000 salary which is what LeBron's giving you. I wouldn't want to be spending 8500 on Paulie George. I'd rather you know, spend that money on LeBron, Davis, Johnny Wall, one of those guys. George just hasn't really got it going and the matchup against LeBron is far from ideal. His last 3 games against the Cavs have yielded 35.7 points in 36 minutes. So going at a point a minute, but at 8,500, you need him to go at 1.2, 1.1.5 per minute to really retain value, and it's not going to happen here, I, I don't believe. Power forward, Kevin Love at 7,500 is good value. I think he can be used in, in all, manner of, uh, all manner of lineups. Well, Channing Fry at 39, super cheap. He's giving you, over his last five, 22 points a game. And at 3,900, it's very hard to complain about that. Will he continue to get 20 a game? It might be a struggle, but I think that you're almost going to be locked in at, at say, 15 or 16. And at 3,900, it's far from a disaster if he doesn't hit 20 points and just gives you those 16 points. As for Thad Young, his salary keeps dropping. He's at 5,200. This is making him more appealing, but not in this matchup against Cleveland. I do hate the matchup. And Kevin Serafin, maybe he's played himself into a bigger role. He's at 3,600. He had 25 in the last game. Not sure it's the right spot to use him against Cleveland, but he's going to be a name to watch for the future. 4,600 for Tristan Thompson. He had 29 today against the Raptors. I still believe, despite the last time I said yeah, he was good for cash, he went out and had four points. I still believe that he's pretty solid for cash to give you that 24 points on on most nights, and this is not a, a game that should be worrying worrying his owners. 6100 for Miles Turner. I, I can't I can't justify spending that. He has been down, and the Cavs do a tremendous job of being able to restrict opposition centers from being putting up uh, putting up big fantasy numbers or below. They you know, opposition centers put up below their average when they take on the Cavs. The Milwaukee Bucks. And the Atlanta Hawks, Dwight Howard is the injury we need to pay attention to here. Whether he plays or not has a bit of a bearing. Obviously, it would make a guy like Mike Muscala and Paul Millsap a lot more uh, a lot more appealing if Dwight happened to be out. Let's look at the point guards. Dennis Schroeder's at 6,100. Point guards have had a tough time against Milwaukee so far this season. Schroeder's been, been good, but it hasn't been good from a DFS point of view necessarily. He's averaging just 26 over the last three games, which is fine, but not when you're spending over $6,000. So I think you can do better than Schroeder on this slate. As for Matthew Dellavedova, his production has dipped, and his salary has dipped, but not not enough. I think he's a stay-away guy for me. Brogdon at 3700 not not quite at this point. The uh, shooting guard spot, Timmy Hardaway's at 3600 He's always a tournament play. And he's actually put up 20 points in the last three games. So that's that's solid at 3,600. But there's very it's very hard to trust him in cash. Whereas Giannis at 9,600, he had a nice 53-pointer in the last one after a couple of quiet games. And I think that you can be fairly confident about getting uh, about getting 45-ish out of Giannis on most nights. So he, he's, uh, he's obviously in play. Cole Corver isn't. Small forwards, Kent Bazemore, 4,800. 
It's nothing exciting. I don't think it's really a big tournament upside guy. But at 4,800, I think you can get your 25 points, and I think that, that can be useful if you're looking to save some money at that position. Thabo Cephalosha will have a big game every five or six, but it's not enough for me to risk using him. Tone Snell is terrible, and Mirza Toledovic is averaging a whopping eight points over his last three games. The power forwards, Paulie Millsap is down to 7,400. He historically has done very well against Milwaukee, and if Dwight is out, I think that Paul Millsap at 7,400 almost becomes a must-play. He's still in play even if Howard's out, just as a let's-hope-this-turns-around sort of situation. But if Dwight's out, I think he's in for a real, real big one. So he will be a name to watch. And Muscala at 4,000, obviously. If Dwight's out, he's a he's almost a must-play guy as well. At 4,000 otherwise, against a team that is giving up some points to big men, he's in consideration, but I wouldn't be making him a high-priority guy. As for Howard... If I had to say one way or the other, whether he's going to play, I'd say he doesn't. Even if he does play, I think it's a little bit risky to go and use him. And the centers in Milwaukee, uh, Miles Plumley, Johnny Henson, Greg Munro, uh, it's going to be tough to use them. Now, to just divert from daily for a minute to seasonal, a lot of questions. John Henson's now the starter, people people tell me. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of him being the starter. Or should I grab him? It doesn't matter because this is what we need to look at. It was announced he's going to be the starter moving forward, which is weird because Jason Kidd hates him. All right, so he's going to be the starter moving forward because Miles Plumley's been pretty bad. But John Henson's been worse. He's like a, a negative 22.2 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court. The other two guys, Munro and Plumley, are both positives in that stat, which is very noisy at this point, but it's a stark contrast between those three guys. And Henson played 17 minutes in the last game as a starter. The game before that off the bench, he played 17 minutes. So in essence, his role didn't change. Him starting does not mean John Henson is playing 27 minutes a night. You might have him going from, say, 12 a night to 17, and Plumley going from 15 to 10, and Munro going from whatever the hell Jason Kidd wants to do, playing him 26 or 19, but nothing changes in my mind. So I don't believe that Henson is worth an add in a 12-team league, and he's definitely not worth a look at in a DFS setting, which is uh, which is where we're at here when we're talking about these games. The next one is the Dallas Mavericks and the Boston Celtics. Dirk is listed as questionable. Darren Williams is listed as questionable. Quincy Acey is listed as questionable. I don't think there's any chance that Dirk plays. I don't think there's any chance that Darren Williams plays. Acey, whatever. Even if he plays, he might not play. I don't think those guys play. Al Horford is also listed as questionable. So there's a lot of interesting scenarios to happen in this game. So a lot of what I say here might not actually mean anything when we actually come to game time, but I'll do my best. Let's start with the point guards. 5700 for Marcus Smart. The salary has gone through the roof, up by $600 over the last time they played, but his production's been through the roof. He's averaging 30 points across the last three games, 27 across the last five, and at 5700 that's almost right right bang on where he needs to be. When Crowder, if, when Crowder's back, I think that he might lose a couple of minutes. I still think he gets over 30, um, but without Crowder, he's going to get 35-ish minutes, and he's a real chance to exceed 30 points on most nights. So I'm not as in love with Smart at this price as I was the last time they played, but I still think it's it's pretty decent value. On the or the other point guard, Isaiah Thomas, he's just been banging in 40 a night. He's at 8,300. He is fine to use at that spot. Um, the Mavericks have been able to restrict opposition point guards somehow. Considering they're not good, it's a bit of a shock. But I think Thomas is he's almost a 37 to 38 point lock on uh, on most nights. Although this matchup again, it's not ideal based on what we've seen. If Williams plays, we won't be using him. JJ Bray is at 58. I think if Williams plays, it 
costs Berea a little bit of playing time and production. He still is going to get decent minutes. I don't think there's any concern there. But is he going to get $5,800 worth? That's probably the question where I'd say no. But if Williams is out, then you know, getting Berea in and getting 30 points out of him, which is probably what you'll get, it you know, feels like it's a, it's a pretty decent bet. At shooting guard, Wes Matthews, I don't want anything to do with him. Seth Curry at 4,200, it's going to require Darren being out for, for Seth to be useful. He's averaging 32 across the last three. At 4,200, that's fantastic, but he needs that. He needs the minutes and he needs that opportunity. Um, and even if, say, Dirk plays and Darren doesn't, it doesn't guarantee Seth a 30-minute role because he's not he's not automatically getting into that into that playing time mix or getting his minutes increased. The small forwards, Justin Anderson at 3,800. Yeah, look, a tournament play if those guys don't play Dirk and Darren, but otherwise he's a he's a tough one to rely upon. And the pencil Harrison Barnes at 6,000. Love him if Dirk's out, don't like him if Dirk plays. So that's a, as simple as it, as it is. And shout out to the couple of people who told me that they have seen uh, Harrison Barnes be referred to as the pencil in other places. So the nickname is catching on. It's coming. It's, uh, it's slowly seeping in. At power forward, Amir Johnson at 42. This clearly depends on if Al Horford plays or not. And even if Horford's out, I don't I don't think that Johnson is a, is a great option. I won't be using Dirk if he plays. And Dwight Powell is a tournament-only situation because he could play 28 minutes. He could play 18 minutes, depending on what whatever whims Rick Carlisle is using on the particular day. The centers, Kelly Olenek is at 3,900. His, his value actually went down after that game against the Pelicans to 3,900. He only had 14 points, but he played 35 minutes. Even if Horford is playing, I think he's worth looking at in a tournament. If Horford doesn't play at 3,900, he's almost a, almost a must play. The only problem is that you've got Joel Embiid as a center as well. So both of those guys are, are looking at are looking to taking that center spot. But both guys have uh, both guys have pretty significant value. Andy Bogut at 4,300. It's hard to justify any situation where I'd use Bogut over Olinick and have to pay $400 more. I don't really see that being a uh, a wise use of my money. The next game that is up is the Detroit Pistons. They are taking on the New York Knicks. Injury-wise, Andre Drummond is the one we're looking at. He's questionable with an ankle sprain. We know what it means if he is out. Let's look at the point guards first. Derek Rose is at 5,700. He, he stunk the last couple of games just under 19-point average over the last uh, three. Historically, he's done well against Detroit, and he's averaging 34 in the last three times he's played them. Yes, it's been for other teams, but he is in a little bit of a slump at the moment. 5700 is a nice price. Uh, it's a $300 drop from his last price. How do we look at Derek here? I don't... I can't use him in a cash game, but in a tournament, I think that... You can use him and hope that he gets some value, but I don't have a massive amount of confidence in it. On to the other point guards. Brandon Jennings is a no-go. And Ish Smith is at 5,300. And he's been giving you 25 points a night, basically. Uh, it's a really good matchup against the Knicks. I don't mind Ish at 5,300. I think there's something to be gained from uh, from using him. 3,600 for Courtney Lee in a tournament. Sure, he goes off once every six or seven games. Hasn't happened in the last three, but... You know, there's a chance that he has a 25-pointer, but his highest score in the last five is 21 points. He just does not put up stats. I like Contavious Caldwell-Pope at 4,800. I think he is almost a lock for 25 points in this matchup. And Justin Holiday is a flyer. He's at 3,700. We saw what the Knicks did in the last game when they went with that small lineup with Holiday playing, Mallow at the four, Porzingis at the five. 
and Holiday put up 29 points. Now, it came on the back of some really good defensive numbers, which probably aren't going to come. But at 3,700, you know, you know what? In a tournament, he, he might be the difference if he gets you, say, 23 points and enables you to get Davis and Harden and LeBron into your lineup. That might be that might be all you need. So definitely someone to pay some attention to. As for Mallow at 7,900, he's been playing well. Now, 7,900 just feels a little bit expensive for me against a Detroit team that is quite good defensively. So I think Mallow's a little bit of a stay away. And Marcus Morris at 53, the wheels are starting to fall off Marcus Morris at the moment. So he is not someone I am uh, all that interested in. At Powerford. Toby Harris is, is kicking it up a notch. He's at 6,000. He's getting you 30 a night, basically. Had 40 against the Thunder. Pretty solid matchup. I'm, I'm okay using him. And obviously, the uh, the Knicks power forward. Well, just... He's at 6,900. He's been giving us you know, some really, really good numbers. Not a perfect matchup against Detroit. They, they are decent against opposition power forwards. He struggled against them a little bit last season. Probably a stay away for Porzingis in this one for me. Joakim Noah is a stay away. Andre Drummond at 8,100. Yeah, better centers out there, but not bad. But if he misses, obviously Aaron Baines at 3,700 is a must. Well, he falls into the must play ones. Like, is it him? Is it Olenek? Is it Embiid? I think if Drummond's out, you take the 3,700 for, for Baines. You don't expect him to score 20, which he did in the last game, but you think that he will return at least 20 fan duel points if he gets that start, which he will. If, if Drummond is out, I don't think there's any any doubt that he will be the starter if Drummond happens to miss. The next game is the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors. The only issue we need to look at here is Damari Carroll, whether he is going to play. Um, I would have to imagine that, that he is after sitting out this uh, last game, but how much he plays? Oh, I ranted on about that plenty before. I don't think he'll play a huge amount. The point guards, Kyle Lowry is at 8,000. He smashed that value in today's game. He's averaging 43 over the last five. The Warriors are not a great defensive team at this point. He's been okay against Golden State in the past. To, to expect him to get 40, it, it's not it's not a huge ask. I think he can I think he can do it without having a massive amount of confidence. 9,000 for Steph. Mm, he's fairly matchup proof, Steph because the matchup's horrible, but he has done well against Toronto in the past. I think that nine, the game should be kept close. I think 9,000 for Steph is is decent to look at. There are other point guards I'd prefer, but he's not. it's not a stay away. Corey Joseph is, though, as is Sean Livingston, at shooting guard. I love Clay here at 5,800. He's been getting it going. The shot's falling. There's 25 points coming every single night. He had 29 in the last one. I think it's fine value. I think he's good to go. DeMar at 9,200. He, look, he had an off night tonight, still dropped 43, but there's no tournament upside for DeMar. A back-to-back, Warriors, Clay Thompson. He has struggled against the Warriors over the last three games, averaging just 27. I, I don't like using DeMar in this situation. Norm Powell, obviously, if we hear that he's starting and Carroll's not playing, then we, we use him at 4,000, but otherwise, no. And Pat McCaw, as much as I love him, there's no real, no real reason to use him here. For the small forwards, Igadala, no. Draymond, not Draymond, Kevin Durant at 9,600. Well, he's going to be a 45-point lock on most nights as well, and I think that he's fine to use at that salary. Uh, and Carroll, we're not uh, we're not touching either. For the power forwards, Pat Pat is at 4,000. He just struggles to put up numbers. He's uh, I, I'm not keen. Uh, Draymond Green at 8,300. 
he's fine. I think there's some value to be said there, but Patterson is a pretty decent defender, and the uh, the Raptors do limit opposition teams' fantasy output. So Draymond, not the best option, but but there's there's something to be said, especially if you're wanting to spend big on a power forward, because there's not many outside of Anthony Davis high-priced power forwards out there. Pascal Siakam, the starter, he's at minimum salary. He's not going to get it done. The centers, Jonas Valanciunas at 5,800. We know the Warriors have got a center issue. Um, can Valanciunas make up for that, or can he take advantage of that? He's at 5,800. He had 26 today. Um, hasn't really got it cracking yet since coming back. This could be a good opportunity for him, but I'm not overly I'm not overly excited about using him. I think he's got some appeal, but not massive. Zaza has zero appeal. And Lucas Nogueira at 4,600. That's too high for a guy that, that turned in those couple of big performances, but it feels unlikely to uh, to happen again at this point. The Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder are favored by one. The total is 218 points here. Pat Beverly is out, but he will be back this week. Russ, 11,500 for Russ. That's fine. I think you can use Russ at that, and you're going to look, he's averaging 64 points across the last three, 55 across the last five. It, tournaments, cash, maybe you fade him in a tournament. I can understand that, especially with other guys like Davis and Harden and these other guys out there, LeBron, Durant, Steph, Wall. There's a lot of other big-name, high-priced players out there, but in in a cash game setting, it's hard to go past Russ at that salary. Samaje Kristen? No. Shooting guards, Vic Oladipo, 5,100. The projections like him because I think he's got to start turning it around, but it hasn't really happened for him yet. Uh, we're aware of that. He's at 5,100 in a tournament. Sure, he's done well historically against Houston. Um, the price is really cheap, but uh, you can't in any good consciousness say use it in a cash game. Jim Harden's at 11,500, pretty much echoing the same things that I said for Westbrook before. He's fine to use at that salary, and he's going to lock in at 50-plus points. And Eric Gordon at 5,200, a little bit quiet in the last one. I'm not sure I want to spend 5,200 on Gordon. The small forwards, Andre Robertson, 3,800. Well, he's up and down. He's a tournament guy that might get you 23 or 24, but I don't think the upside's all that high. Whereas Trev Ariza at 5,300, he's killing it at the moment. It's a really good matchup in terms of fantasy stats. So 5,300 for Trev, I think he's uh, I think he's good to go. Jeremy Grant, we don't know if he's going to start. Even if he does, I reckon you can, you can have him. I'll, uh, I'll leave him for you. And Sam Decker at 3,500, just not enough minutes to really consider using him. Power forward, Ryan Anderson, you can do better than Ryan Anderson until he goes out and drops 100. I don't think that's going to happen. 5,000 for Anderson, I reckon you can do better. DeMontis Sabonis is down to minimum salary, probably because he's averaging 6.7 points over the last three games. He's been really limited. It's a tournament flyer. Yeah, he can go for 25, no doubt, but it's just it's not looking likely at this point. And Ennis Cantor at 5,000, I, really I really don't like the matchup here, so he's a, he's a stay away for me. At center, Steve Adams at 5,100. has been a little bit down with his production, only at 23 points over the last five. But this is an opportunity for him to create some havoc against Houston. And depending on what Mike D'Antoni wants to do, if they're going to put Ryan Anderson on him, it's going to get ugly. How long D'Antoni wants to use Capella out there. Adams could be in for a, a pretty decent night. So I do like him at 5,100. Again, just another really good value center. Clint is at 5,000 5, exactly. He had 35 in the last game. He's up to 27 over the last three. He's a fine center to use as well, but he falls below some of those other ones that I've mentioned, like uh, like Embiid and like Adams. Nene, no. Nah. Lavernier, no. Nah. The next one, 
the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets is the game that is up next. The Nuggets are favored by four and a half, and the total is a whopping 221.5 points. We all know the concerns in Denver. Will Barton look like he was going to come back and then practice today, and they had to take him out of practice because of ankle soreness? I don't think that he is going to play. Wilson Chandler is listed as probable, so he will likely play. And Darrell Arthur is questionable with the knee, but I don't think it's going to have any impact one way or the other if Arthur plays or not. Gaz Harris is out for the next four weeks as well. So what does that mean? That means Jameer Nelson at 3,800 becomes a very, very cheap and a very, very appealing option. Yes, he started the last game and played 33 minutes and only had 15 points, but he can easily get you 20, 20 plus points in a matchup that's very, very straightforward against Phoenix. So he is someone to look at. Jamal Murray at 3,700, also a tournament option. He got red hot in that last game. The minutes are going to be up with Barton and Harris both likely out. So Jamal Murray, another guy you can consider. Emmanuel Moutier has been stinking it up. He's at 5,600. He's done well against Phoenix in the past. I think he's a tournament point guard that not many people will be on. This is an opportunity for him to turn it around. On the flip side, Eric Bledsoe's at 7,500. I think he's solid as a cash game point guard who's going to get you those low to mid 30s in uh, in points on most nights. So he's he's pretty solid at that price. For the shooting guards, Brandon Knight at 44. Takes some pretty big balls to use Brandon Knight given the way that he's being used. And Devin Booker at 6,500. I just don't feel confident with Devin Booker. At that price, if it was 57, 58, I'd say yeah, but at 65, I'll probably say nah. Small forwards. The rooster, Danilo Gallinari, he's at 5,900, just consistently two to $300 overpriced. I'll leave him alone. And TJ Warren at 6,300. I don't think his tournament upside's really there, but I like him in cash. Lock it in at 32 to 33 points, and I think you'll end up being pretty happy with him there. Wilson Chandler, if he plays, which it looks like he will, at 5,200, could be a really, really good bargain in any sort of format. So I, I can recommend using Wilson Chandler if he plays, as we expect him to at this point. At power forward, Nick Jokic at 4,400. He's done historically well against Phoenix. Um, he's done historically poorly so far to start this season, averaging just 11 points per game in the last three. But last season, in his games against Phoenix, he's averaging 29 points in 22 minutes. This is you know, what he was able to do in his rookie year. There's no way you can rely upon him. In a tournament, maybe there's a real opportunity for him to do something. He played more minutes than Yusuf Nurkic in the last game off the bench, significantly more, 18 versus 26. Can he get something going? Before I really recommend him, you, know, you need to see it. But in a tournament, sure, the psychology of people playing will definitely steer him away. His percentage ownership will be low, and he does have that ability. So you know, keep it in mind. I like Jared Dudley at 4,000, getting a huge amount of minutes and the production's there. I think it drops off a bit, but he's got scope for it to drop off and still be valuable at $4,000. Ken Fareed at 6,000. The numbers say, yeah, but the salary up to 6,000, up $900, means I'll say no. So no. Marquise Chris starting, but that doesn't matter. And Wancho Hernan Gomez at 3,600, putting up good numbers, Wancho, but yeah, um, no, I, I, you can do better than Wancho Hernan Gomez. Tyson Chandler at 48. We assume he is going to be back for this one, but we're not 100% sure. At 4,800, I don't. I think he's a good good value play there. It also means we want nothing to do with Alex Len and Yusuf Nurkic. We basically want nothing to do with either, irrespective of Tyson Chandler's status, because he is uh, he's very firmly in uh, in Michael Malone's doghouse at this point, and you can almost say who isn't. Malone's in our doghouse. I know that much. The next game, the San Antonio Spurs and the Sacramento Kings. The Spurs are favored by 5.5, and, and the total is 195.5. Will Danny Green play? He seems to think he will, but he's currently listed as questionable. So 
we'll, we'll check on that. I don't think he's going to be a, a super target anyway. For the point guards, Darren Collison played 38 minutes the last time out. He's at 5,900. Just feels a bit expensive, especially going up against the Spurs. Oh, I reckon we can do better than Darren Collison at point guard. I'm pretty sure he can do better than both the Spurs point guards, Paddy Mills and Tony Parker at 4,100 and 4,400 respectively, and Garrett Temple and Ty Lawson, the backups in Sacramento. They're not worth uh, discussing. At shooting guard, Manu, Danny Green, Aaron Aflalo, Ben McLemore. Let's just skip those guys. Small forward, Kawhi, 8,500. Fine to lock in. I'd much rather spend that 85 on Kawhi than I would on Paul George. He had a big game last time against the Kings. He's averaging 46 the last three times he takes on this team. At 8,500, you know, I think 40 points for Kawhi should be considered the bare minimum, and that's fine. Rudy Gay, also at 7,400. Love it. He has been smashing teams lately, really on a roll. Yeah, the Kawhi is a factor, is an issue, and that might steer me clear of him, especially in a tournament setting, but he's been on a, on a real roll. Just the Kawhi factor is a little bit concerning. Matty Barnes, Omri Caspi, no trust in any of those guys. Throw Anthony Tolliver and Willie Cauley-Stein in there. They'll either play or they won't play, and we've got no idea. If Dan Green is out, we're going to see either Kyle Anderson or John Simmons, and I don't think we want to rely upon either of those guys to be carrying our DFS squad. At power forward, uh, Dave Lee is at 3,500. Now, I mentioned Dave Lee because Dwayne Dedman is out for the next two games with a knee sprain. Lee, in the last game, put up 18 points in 17 minutes at minimum salary. Lee can definitely put up some fantasy points, so pay attention to him, and I think that he can be used. LaMarcus Aldridge at 7,000. Looked like he was sort of breaking out a bit last game. Didn't end up totally eventuating, but this could be an opportunity for him against this Sacramento team. I don't feel overly confident with it, but I think there's something to be said about maybe considering him. At center, Powell is at 6,000. Without Dwayne Dedman there, a little bit more confidence in what Powell can do. 6,000, though, feels just a little bit expensive. Boogie at 9,600, I love that. I think that he can go and have 45 points without too much uh, without too much hassle. We're through all these games now, aside from the last one, which is the Memphis Grizzlies and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers are favored by 12. The total is 201.5, and with the Clippers... They're, they're smashing everybody. And that's, that, that is a concern for the value in this game. Tone Allen is uh, questionable with his uh, groin issue that's kept him out for the last few games. And Wes Johnson is questionable in Los Angeles with a heel bruise. Let's look at the point guards. Paulie George. No, 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 no. Chrissy Paul. That's the one. 9,300. Last game, he had 48 points in 25 minutes. He is averaging 42 points in 28 minutes over the last five. 9,300 is a little bit expensive with a blowout, and with so many other guys around, it does make him a little bit hard to use, but shit, he's been putting up numbers in a in a tremendous manner. 6,900 for Mike Conley. I, I don't mind that. I hate the fact they're playing the Clippers, so that will steer me clear there. Obviously, Austin Rivers, Ray Felton, Andrew Harrison, and Wade Baldwin aren't interesting. 4,300 for JJ Redick as a shooting guard. Yeah, his game's been really stepping it up the last couple. Not sure I'm keen, though. Um, Jamal Crawford, ditto. And Tone Allen, no. Small forwards, there's not a lot to like in this game, by the way. Chandler Parsons at 5,100. Can't rely upon him until the minutes get back up. James Ennis at 4,000, no. Vince Carter at 4,400 definitely deserves a discussion. He's averaging 30 points in the last three, 25 across the last five. At 4,400, you can consider him, but the Clippers do do really destroy teams, and that, that is a concern. Their defense has been amazing. Luke Marmute, I just wanted to say Luke Marmute. Jermichael Green's doing nothing, so he's a stay away. They're Mo Spates, uh, no. Blakey Griffin at 8,700. Not many high-priced power forwards on the board. 
doesn't necessarily mean you want to use Griffin. The blowout factor is a bit of a concern. He hasn't cracked 40 in the last couple of games. So, look, it's, it's, it's decent for him. He does generally do okay against Memphis, but not brilliantly. So I think he's probably a, a stay-clear guy. Zebo at 5,400. The numbers have been there. He's been exceeding value the last couple in the bench role, and he does do well against the Clippers. I can see him as a tournament punt, but that's literally it. At center, Marcus Gasol, 6,900, not living up to that value. And DeAndre Jordan at 6,800. Good matchup for DeAndre, but the minutes is the, is the concern here. So I don't hate it, but as I've mentioned plenty of times, there are a lot of other centers on the board who are probably going to be more appealing. That is all 11 games. Let's take a look at the picks of the day on Fangio. We've got Jimmy Nelson at 38, Lord Alfred at 58, and Russ at 11,500. For the shooting guards, Contavious Core Pope, 4,800. Clay is at 58, and Jim Harden is at 11,500. For the small forwards, Kenty Bazemore, 48, TJ Warren, 63, and Kawhi at 85. Power forwards, Rishon Holmes, 37, Toby Harris, 6,000, and Anthony Davis, 11,400. And the centers, Kelly Olynyk, 39, Joel Embiid, 56, and Boogie is at 9,600. On DraftKings, Jameer, 38, Alfred, 58, Chrissy Paul, 88, Jamal Murray, 37, Evan Fournier, 57. At small forward, Justin Holiday at 3,200 is a tournament only. Mallow at 75 is a much cheaper price over on DraftKings. And LeBron at 9,800. Power forwards, Rishon Holmes, 37, Aldridge at 6,600. And DeMarcus Cousins at 8,900. And the centers, Bismack Biombo at 4,000, more of a tournament guy. Steve Adams, 55. And Draymond at 8,200. We're done. Long podcast, as per usual for me these days. Don't forget, check out Draft, playdraft.com. Search Draft in your app store and use the promo code LOFANTASY. Support the podcast, use some daily fantasy, have some daily fantasy fun, win some money, and check out Nate and Danny on the Twitter live show at halftime tomorrow. It's going to be super interesting to see, and they deserve all the support from all of our listeners as well, just so, just so we can see how it's all uh, going and for giving these independent guys a, a chance to, to show what they can do and sh- take themselves to the world because they're really, really good at what they do. We are done, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Carmelo Anthony.